0: Good morning. Welcome to all that are here in the sanctuary at First Church, along with those watching on Facebook Live and listening on T102. We welcome everyone to worship this morning on Sunday, April 25th. Just a few announcements before we get started. The red rose and the bouquet of flowers on the altar this morning are in honor of Jack and Sarah Schrelke, who celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary this past Saturday, April 24th. Congratulations, Jack and Sarah. Uh, The wonderful Wednesday meal for the month of April is this week on uh, Wednesday, April 28th from 6 to 7 p.m. All are invited. Uh, The menu is three cheese ravioli with Alfredo or red sauce, salad, roll, and cookies. Pickup is available at the side kitchen door. Delivery is available. Please call the church office at 419-753-2446 to make arrangements by tomorrow. And now, if you would, please rise and join me in the call to worship this morning. Our call to worship is taken from Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. The word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loved righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Their sorry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations, he thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he choose for his inheritance. From the heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind from his dwelling place. He watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord; He is our help and our shield. In Amen. Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. Amen. May our unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put hope in our youth. And now we will continue to stand and sing hymn number 43: Great is Thy faithfulness. Amen. You may be seated, and now we'll invite all the children to come forward for children's chat.
1: All right. As the children are coming forward, God prompted me that we needed an infomercial today. You see all these lovely children? They love coming to learn about God. They love to come down front and be a part of all of this and have their own special time. And each and every one of you has a story to share, has something to give. I challenge you to please consider wanting to take a Sunday and come up here with these little people and all their smiling faces and their questions and their excitement and feel the warmth that God puts in your heart when you have the opportunity to spend a little time with them. So that's my challenge for you guys today. Think about wanting to help with children's chat. Give me a call. Give Connie a call at church. Um, We'll get you slotted in. And it doesn't have to be just the women, the guys. Grandpas are allowed to come up, too. All right. How are you guys today? Good. All right. Now, we're going to use our imagination. Are you ready? We're going to pretend. Okay? Okay. We're in our car seat. You all buckled up. Okay, we're going on a long ride. Does anybody have anything that they're looking at? Maybe a book to look at or a movie to watch? Okay, are you watching it? Hey, hey, did you see that bird? Did you see that bird? That was really cool. Did you see it? No, what were you doing? Reading your book, watching the movie. It was such a cool bird, though. You guys really missed it. It had long feathers, and they were every color of the rainbow, and it was gliding through the sky, and it was beautiful. You guys missed it. Well, do you believe me? Do you believe me? Do you believe that I saw that bird? Yeah? Why do you believe me? What if I just made that up? You know what? In our Bible story today, in our scripture reading, that's kind of what happened. You see, Jesus's apostles were all gathered and Jesus showed up there one day, but one of them couldn't be there. There were only 10 of them there and one of them wasn't there, Thomas. And when all the other apostles told Thomas about it, Thomas is like, nope, I don't believe you. I didn't see it. You see, I have to see it to believe it. I want to put my fingers in the hole on Jesus' hands. I want to see it. Thomas had doubts. Doubts are when we're just not sure if that could really happen. Do we ever have doubts? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. And you know what? That's okay. But... We should never doubt what's in the Bible. Because what's in the Bible is from God. And those things really happened. And so, you know, Thomas? The next week when they all gathered to share a meal again, Thomas was with them. Guess who showed up? Jesus. Jesus did. Yep. What did Thomas want to do? Did you know
2: Jesus is that friend?
1: He is. You are so right. But you know what? Jesus went over to Thomas and he said, Thomas, look, see that? Those are my nail holes. Put your fingers in there. Believe it. Take your hand and put it in my side because that's what Thomas needed to do in order to believe it. But you know what? We believe it because we have faith. And we believe that what is in the Bible is true. So. When it comes to God and Jesus and all the amazing things that he does, we don't need to be a doubting Thomas. We can believe in God because we know it's real. And that is what faith is, believing things that we can't see. Okay? So, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for these children and their eagerness to learn. Thank you for Jesus for coming and showing Thomas that he was real. That we have, please be with us this week. Help us to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, have a great week.
3: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Maria. Thanks, kids, for coming on up here for Children's Chat. I want to take a moment and just reiterate what Maria said for us, and that is uh, the need to continue to teach and pour into our children. I know I'm blessed every week to see them come up here and, and sometimes uh, I will be the first to admit I'm a little nervous when my kid scoots close to the microphone, right? I'm not sure exactly what they're going to say, uh, but I am so blessed by the people that have week in and week out poured into them. That includes children's chat, Sunday school program, all that sort of stuff. So if you are able and willing, I want to encourage you to take the opportunity to volunteer. It really is an important ministry we often talk about kids being the future of our church, which is true, but they're also important here and now. We want to pour into them here and now because they're an important and valid part of our church membership, our church family um, as as young ones. And, and we want to pour into them and love on them. But I do want to issue a challenge too. Uh, the, just because you know most of, the t- most of the time it is women up here teaching, I certainly want to challenge the men in the congregation to step up and, and take that opportunity to teach too. I think it's great for our children and our church to see you know, men in that, in that teaching role and stepping up and, and loving on and pouring into those kids too. So uh, I want to challenge men and women to step up. And, and if you're able to help in that area, or if you just want to learn more about it, reach out to Maria, reach out to myself. We'd love to talk with you about it. This time we have our uh, bell choir providing special music. I'm certainly excited for it this morning. I'm um, so thankful for um, coming through the pandemic and not having vocal choir or bell choir, seeing both of them up and active again, and certainly grateful for the group here today. This is the last time they're going to be ringing here this spring before they reconvene in the fall. So hope you enjoy, and let's worship God together by enjoying this music.
4: My Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure, gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, its part of pain and pleasure mingled toil with peace and rest. Help me then in every tribulation so to trust thy promises, O Lord that I lose, not faith's sweet consolation, offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, e'er to take As from our Father's hand, one by one, the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. Thou fount of every blessing To my heart tender care.
3: Uh, Praise God. As we turn our attention this morning to prayer. I want to encourage you to continue to be praying for those that are represented on our prayers and concerns list. I think that it's important for us as a church to continue to be lifting up each other in prayer. And so I encourage you to check out the names that are represented in your bulletin. Take a look at those and we will uh, take a look and, and pray for those things together here this morning. I also want to take this opportunity to, uh, give you a heads up about a change that we're making next week to our service. Uh, w- at the start of the pandemic, we, we kind of quit passing the plates as a precaution, uh, during the offering. And we've been giving at the doors either as you've been coming into church or exiting the sanctuary. And starting next week, we, dis- we discussed at consistory about beginning to pass the plates once again. And so we're going to start doing that next Sunday, May 2nd, uh, during the service. Uh, you can, of course, continue to give in the office, give online. Uh, if you need to, uh, you know, drop checks off uh, during the week, that's totally fine. I know many of you have started to give differently over this past year. Uh, but this is an opportunity for us to to start passing the plates again. And, and I want to take a moment and just remind you of why we do that, why we have that as part of the service because giving to God is really an act of worship. And so it does fit in the service is as an opportunity for us to worship God together. Uh, when we give, it's an opportunity for us to give back to God and say, this belongs to you. We're giving this to honor you, to glorify you. And, and we're, we're doing that as part of the worship service. And certainly with an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude. So starting next week, we are going to begin to pass the plates again. The deacons are going to be helping out with that, and I encourage you to to be prepared for that. If you've started to give in other ways, like online or through the mail, um, by all means, continue to do that if that's the best option for you. But I wanted to give you a heads up that we will start to give in the service once again next week. So today, though, our offering does go to support the Sunday School Ministry. So if you are able to give on your way out the door here today or give online or whatnot, we encourage you to do so. Our offering today does support the Sunday School Ministry. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, let's continue to praise God through singing. Uh, The next song is a praise song, He Will Hold Me Fast. I want to really encourage you to to listen to and think of the words as we sing them together uh, of what God has done for us in Christ and that He will hold us fast to the end. And I invite you to pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you do hold us fast, that you hold us in the palm of your hand, and that no matter what trials we face, no matter what struggles that we endure, we know that you hold us in the palm of your hand. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you assure us of this through your death and your resurrection, that you are alive today and interceding for us at the right hand of God. And it is because of that truth, because of your promise, we know that we can endure. Lord God, and we ask now because of your faithfulness, because of your provision, and because of your goodness, that we, we ask that you would work in our lives in such a way to bring honor and glory to you. Turns list and ask for your will to be done. Lord, guide us, direct us, provide for us. You are a good shepherd who cares for his people. And and as any good shepherd, you lead us in the right direction. You protect us from what may harm us. And even though you lead us sometimes through difficult circumstances, we know that you are good and that you will provide a way. And so, God, we ask for all these things to be done according to your will, for your glory and for our good. We pray them in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us the price, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.
1: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen our Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe a week later. His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here.
3: Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather as your people and to sing your praises and now to open up your word and study it together. I thank you that you have given us the gift of your word that we may know you may um, understand you better, Lord. And I pray that as we spend time discussing it, thinking about it, meditating on it this morning, that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, may you guide our our thoughts and guide my words, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. I don't know how many of you follow kind of maybe Christian celebrity culture, which is kind of a, an ironic term to begin with, but uh, over the last few years, there's been a lot of uh, people that have kind of claimed that that title of, of a Christian celebrity, whether they're uh, social media stars, pastors even, authors, uh, that have gone through a process of what people are now calling deconstruction. They're deconstructing their faith. And these people are, it's almost like they're giving testimonies, but not the kind of testimonies we would want to see or expect. They're testimonies of how they grew up in the church, and then through through a series of maybe circumstances, events, questions, doubts, fears, they then move away from the faith and came to an understanding that they no longer need God, they no longer need the church, they no longer need faith. And they present this, this journey, this testimony, as, as something that is freeing, as something that is uh, a point of, of, of progress, I guess you can say. And, and there's even a term that's been coined to describe people like this. They call them ex-evangelicals. Right? Instead of evangelicals, they're ex-evangelicals. They're people that no longer claim to be Christians or part of the faith or part of the church and have, in a sense, in maybe their own words, moved on past that. If you're not aware of some of these stories, maybe it would be an opportunity for you to, to learn a little bit and, and um, to, to listen to some of these stories and, and hear from them because it's, it's fascinating whether or not you obviously agree with them or not, the journey that they're on is very real. And as one I feel like more and more people are, are hearing about, learning about, and maybe beginning to go down that journey themselves. And the reason I bring that up today is because we're looking at a passage that is very very familiar to us in one sense. We, we see this is the, for lack of a better term, origin story of our famous disciple, the Doubting Thomas. All right, we see him in action here and and the question i want to pose for us today is does doubt have to be a bad thing you listen to these testimonies of those that have deconstructed their faith or the ex-evangelicals and they and they say their doubts their questions their fears led them away from the faith but i want to take time today and say that our doubts don't have to lead us away from jesus in fact, the doubts and the questions that many of us, many of you, may be struggling with don't have to be a barrier in your faith. In fact, it can be something that propels your faith forward toward Jesus. And that's what we see happening here with Thomas. It's in, as I said, uh, we're, we're seeing the, the origins of this name, Doubting Thomas, here in this passage. In a sense, he's the patron saint of doubters, of questioners, of seekers, But it's more than that, right? He's more than just doubting Thomas because we see here he moves through his doubts to belief and to faith. And that's the path I want to encourage all of us to follow when we begin to question and we begin to doubt. In fact, there's there's three movements that happen in this passage that I want to talk about. There's a movement from fear to joy. There's a movement from doubt, as I already said, to belief or faith. And there's a movement from inaction to mission. And we're going to talk about those three in turn. But first, let's, let's look at the passage of self and kind of set the stage. First, we see that, that this resurrection appearance that we're studying today is actually two resurrection appearances that happen a week apart, but they're tied together by this, by this focus on Thomas. In the first appearance, which happens on the very night of Easter, it says that the disciples were locked in a room because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Now, we can connect this passage, right? This particular event is probably the parallel to the one we studied last week at the end of Luke chapter 24, right? When Jesus appeared to the disciples in the locked room, they're probably talking about the same event here, same time frame these disciples had heard the report, right? The women had gone to the empty tomb and, and had heard the angels talk about Jesus' resurrection. In fact, two of the disciples, we know from John's own gospel, went to the tomb themselves, Peter and John, and they saw that it was empty. But yet here they are, Sunday night, locked in a room because they're afraid of what may happen to them. They're afraid of the, the Jewish authorities and, and they're afraid that they might be the next ones arrested. And they'll... In that room, in their fear that Jesus greets them, He appears to them and greets them. And in fact, he he says the same greeting three times. He says, peace be with you. And now that's, in a sense, kind of a standard greeting. It's not one that we often say. You don't run into somebody at Kroger in the aisle and say, oh, hey, peace be with you. Nice to see you. But in that day, it was a very common greeting. It was a way that that people would greet friends or family or, or acquaintances. But there's something significant about the way that Jesus uses it here. He uses the common phrase, but Jesus is the one who brings real peace. And it's the resurrection itself that brings real, significant, lasting peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, John had been, had been laying the groundwork for this all along. We see two instances of it earlier in the gospel. The first one in chapter 14, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then a couple chapters later, in chapter 16, verse 33, it says, I have told you these things, that in me you may have peace. In this world... Oh, excuse me, I read that same verse right over again. That's what happens when you read off your iPad instead of actually reading out of the Bible, right? John 16:33." Yeah, that's, that's John 16:33. I apologize for that. Um, I, I encourage you to look up John 14, 27 as well because I, I misquoted that. John 14:27 27 uh, says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, that's why I, I, always show, I always tell people it's good to have your Bible open in front of you and just don't take what I say at face value, right? There's a perfect example of why you should do that right there. Follow along in your Bibles. So John 14, 27 and John 16, 33 talk about the peace that that God gives us through Christ. And it's peace not like the world gives, right? Peace that the world gives is the absence of conflict. But the peace that we can have through Christ is peace in the middle of conflict. It's peace in the middle of struggles and hardship, whatever your circumstances are, because it's peace that's not based on those things. It's based in Jesus and his resurrection. And so we see another a week later, the disciples are gathered together again. And this is where we learn that Thomas was not there the first time. He was the only one of the disciples that was left out. And when he heard the report that Jesus had appeared to them, he didn't believe it. He tells them, listen, I need proof. Until I see the scars in his hands, until I place my hand in his side, it's not, I, I'm not going to believe it. There's a there's a, a phrase that was pretty popular a few years ago on, on social media sites or, or places like Reddit where people would tell outlandish stories of things that happened to them. Maybe they met celebrities in some random context or something amazing happened to them. And the more they told these stories, people would comment and say they won't believe it unless there were pictures to show the proof, right? The, the phrase was or it didn't happen, right? That's what Thomas is doing here. He says, I need proof. I need visual evidence. I need to see the scars for myself, or I won't believe. He's doubting. These questions are coming up in his mind. And notice that Thomas has a very strong emphasis here on the bodily resurrection of Christ. Right? The fact that the, the truth that Jesus physically rose from the grave. Jesus wasn't just a, a, a ghost or a spirit or an idea or a hallucination. Right? Jesus physically and bodily rose from the grave. And that's why Thomas says, listen, I need to see it for myself. In a way, Thomas's doubts were valid. He knew that only a true bodily resurrection would, would be the assurance and the validation that we need in our faith. You see, there have been many great thinkers over the years, many good philosophers, many people who led good and righteous lives and encouraged others to follow their example. But there's only one resurrected Savior. There's only one person who did all of that and then rose from the grave to prove that what he said was true. Only one who conquered death in the grave. And if that's true, right, if Jesus truly did rise from the grave, Scars and all, then it changes everything. And Thomas knew that, and what he wanted to see was the proof. And that's what he received. In First John chapter one, verses one through four, this is the letter, a letter that the, that John wrote later in his life. He opens it by saying this: "That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched." This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Notice the emphasis that John places there on the on the real physical bodily resurrection of Christ. He says he wasn't just an idea. This isn't something that we made up. We saw him. We touched him. We interacted with him. I love the resurrection stories that talk about Jesus eating food with the disciples. Almost like to prove that he was really there. And I think it also says something about you know how, how good food is, right? Let's take a moment and reflect on that. If, if a delicious meal is good enough for the risen Savior, then we can enjoy a delicious meal every once in a while too. The real physical bodily resurrection of Christ is important. And that's, again, Thomas' doubts weren't, weren't invalid. They were pointing to something that is really important and necessary and true. And that's why Jesus shows up again. Just as he did the week before, he suddenly meets the disciples and greets them. He immediately talks with Thomas, not to scold him for doubting, but to meet him in the middle of his doubts. Remember, we talked about this last week. Jesus meets us where we're at. He chased down the disciples who were on the Emmaus Road. He met with the disciples in the upper room, and here he's meeting Thomas in the middle of his doubts. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't, you know, say, tsk, 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 why were you thinking that way? Jesus meets him right in the middle of his doubts and invites him to see the truth. That brings us to these three movements that I'm talking about here this morning. The first movement was from fear to overwhelming joy. We see for the disciples that the resurrection changed everything. They had no reason to fear anymore because Jesus was alive. They locked themselves in a room because they were afraid of what would happen. But the moment Jesus shows up, their fear turns from, or excuse me, their, their focus turns from fear to joy. My question for you this morning is what do you fear? They feared the authorities. Maybe you fear authority as well. We fear our circumstances, we fear what may or may not happen to us. We fear fear itself. Many of us live in fear and we don't even realize it. We overthink, we worry, we obsess over things that we can't control. But Jesus invites us to let go of those fears and to trust in Him. That doesn't mean our circumstances will change, but our perspective on them will. Think about what happened to the disciples after this moment. They were living in fear and their fear turned to joy upon meeting the resurrected Christ. They lived in fear that they would be the next ones nailed to a cross. But within a few weeks... And after the day of Pentecost, when they were empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit, they began to preach the name of Jesus without fear. In fact, at one point, they rejoiced precisely because they were being persecuted. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, after the apostles had been arrested by the Jewish authorities and released, it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, there's that term again, Rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Think about that statement. They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. Are you willing to say that for yourself? And how do we get to that point? We get to that point only in and through an experience and relationship with the resurrected Christ. Beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was alive. And the risen Christ changes our perspective on all those things. Again, John, throughout his gospel, has been hitting on these themes. In John 16, verses 20 through 22, Jesus once again says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish. Because of her joy, there is a child born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Right? They knew, this is obviously pre-crucifixion, right? Jesus says, right, your, your time of grief will come. Jesus is he knew he was about to die and that would, be, that would be a time of mourning and grief. But when he came again, when he resurrected, he knew that grief would turn to joy. Christian joy is a very very unique thing, isn't it? It's, base, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It grows out of a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. Just as like I said, peace was a gift. Joy is a gift too. It's a gift that comes through a relationship with God. And it's grounded in the promises of God. God's Word is true and He will be faithful to it. So we can put our joy and our hope in something that we know to be true. And third, joy is not dependent on our circumstances. Our circumstances change, but God doesn't. We can have joy and peace because they are a gift from Jesus. We can experience them in the midst of hardship, in the midst of fear and doubt, because they come from Him and Him alone. I mentioned peace doesn't equal the absence of conflict. Well, joy doesn't equal the absence of fear and worry either. Peace and joy are the experience of the presence of Christ in the middle of your fear and in the middle of your worry and conflict. That's true peace and that's true joy. We also see here a movement from doubt to belief. Remember, Jesus doesn't scold Thomas for his doubt. He invites him to examine the evidence. I think there's a a real difference between authentic doubt and inauthentic doubt. I talked about those that had deconstructed their faith and, and left the church at the start of my sermon. I think in some of those cases, there were people that had already made up their mind about where they were going. And part of that journey was just justifying the decision they already made. In that sense, I think those are, those are inauthentic doubts because we've already made up our mind what we believe and where we want to go. And it's just a matter of justifying the steps to get there. See, when your mind's already made up about something... There's no amount of examining, no amount of prayer, no amount of questions that, that are going to change that if you're dead set and determined to go in a certain direction. And whatever form that is, I would call that inauthentic doubt because your mind's already made up. But then there's real doubt. There's authentic doubt where your mind really is open and, and you really do want to examine the evidence. And that's, I think, what Thomas is here. He says, I want to see the evidence. I want to know what's I want to know this to be true for myself. In authentic doubt genuinely seeks answers and genuinely seeks truth. And in those who are honestly and genuinely seeking the truth, Jesus meets us in the middle of that. Because all truth is God's truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus is the truth, if all truth is God's truth, then those who honestly and earnestly seek the truth will always find him. Jesus will always be the answer to the questions and the doubts and the insecurities if we're honestly and earnestly seeking the truth and seeking Him. That's why I say doubt can be good if we allow it to be good. Doubt can lead us away from Christ if, we are, if we're not careful with how we handle it. But doubt can be a good thing because the questions that arise in our minds, the, the insecurities, the fears, can ultimately lead us to Christ if we allow them to. If we honestly seek the answers that God has provided. Notice here what, what Jesus says. He he wants Thomas to make a decision. He says, look, here's the proof. Here I am. Check out my scars. But he tells him one thing. He says, stop doubting and believe. I said, doubt can be a good thing, but we don't want to stay there. We don't want to wallow in it, right? Doubt should, be, doubt should be a part of, or can be a part of the process, but it shouldn't be the end point. We don't want to just sit in the middle of doubt and say, well, I don't know. We can't ever know. I'm never going to know the truth. Now, doubt can be a good thing if it propels us forward to Christ. And Jesus told Thomas the same thing that I believe he's telling us. Stop doubting and believe, right? Examine your doubts. Examine your questions. But make up your mind. Don't sit on the fence any longer. Jesus invites us to trust in him. He's either Savior and Lord or he's not. We can't sit on the fence. We must trust in him today. In fact, that's the whole purpose of John's gospel. He says in verses 30 and 31, he says, the purpose of the gospel is for people to hear the good news and believe. Belief leads to a personal decision to trust Jesus, the works he's done, and to invest our hope in him. One more thing about, about Thomas's movement from doubt to belief before we move on to the last point and notice that it didn't just stop in an intellectual belief, but he, it moved forward to worship. When Jesus stood before him, Thomas realized exactly who Jesus was. And he says, my Savior, or excuse me, my Lord and my God. Thomas recognized Jesus for who he was and it led him to worship. It led him to trust. Because it wasn't just you're a Savior or a God. You're not the Savior or the Lord or the God. You're my Lord and my God, right? There was a decision Thomas made in that moment to trust in Jesus, to believe in him, but also to worship him. And last thing here, last movement then, is a movement from inaction to mission. And this kind of ties back into the first appearance with the disciples in the room. When Jesus, the disciples were scared, they locked themselves up, they were doing nothing. But when Jesus arrived, he gave them a mission, he equips them to accomplish, accomplish it. The mission that Jesus gave his disciples was ultimately to to participate in and continue the work that Jesus began. He says, just as my father sent me, I am now sending you. In other words, Jesus invites us to participate with him in the mission and the purpose of the church. To share the gospel, the good news of forgiveness to all who believe with a world that desperately needs to hear it. In John chapter 4, he tells the disciples that the harvest is ripe and it's ready And now he is sending us into the world to reap that harvest. And he gives them the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate. Says that he breathes on them and says receive the Holy Spirit. I love that that image of God, or excuse me, of Jesus breathing on his disciples. It it, it reminds us of of Genesis chapter 2 when God formed Adam out of the the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. It also reminds us of Ezekiel chapter 37 in the the vision of the valley of dry bones when when the the breath of god enters into that army and and that's where the life comes from god calls us not to just believe in an intellectual sense he calls us to worship him and when we worship him when we truly trust him and commit to him it also involves joining with him in the mission that he's called us to be on to 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 Teach the world about Jesus, and we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. I want to close here with one more thought. We see here in this passage, right, this, this disciple Thomas, who we become known, who, who has become known as Doubting Thomas, but he should be mo- known for more than his doubts. He's the first to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and God. In church history, he claims that he traveled all the way to India preaching. Yet he, d- he doubted, yes, but he also showed an incredible faith and trust in Jesus. He didn't let his doubt stop him. And Jesus met him in those doubts and helped him move from doubt to belief, from fear to joy, and from inaction to mission. And he can do the same for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you do transform us. Lord, apart from you, we have no good thing. But in you, you bring us joy you, you help us to, to know You and have faith. And ultimately, You call us to serve You in a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be transformed by Your Spirit and to know You each day. Lord, To help us to, to allow our doubts and our questions and our fears to drive us and propel us to You and not away. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand, and as we close our service today, we're going to sing our closing song, In Christ Alone. may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.